The second reading is taken from Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 to 25. Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael. And Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilha, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, and we love to call you that this morning especially, we'll thank you that you are God who loves to hear your children call to you. And we'll thank you that you are God who loves to give your children good gifts. So we ask you this morning to give us the good gift of your word. Please speak to us and change us by it. In the name of your son Jesus we ask. Amen. The famously grumpy philosopher Thomas Hobbes once famously stated that the natural state of human beings is this, continual fear and danger of violent death and the life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish and short. I don't know what you make of that, it probably depends on what kind of morning you've had, I guess. But it's a pretty good description, a pretty good summary of what life is like on earth as we rejoin Genesis chapter 4 this morning. If you've been here over the last few weeks, then you'll already know the story so far, but uh, let me briefly recap it. Adam and Eve have rejected God. They've said, we don't want you to decide the rules, we want to decide them for ourselves. And as a result of that, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Paradise was lost, and since then, things have gone from bad to worse. Their son, Cain, after refusing to worship God in the way that he demanded, and instead insisting that things were done on his terms, has, out of a jealous fit of rage, murdered his own brother. And then, after killing Abel, he's attempted to cover it up and said to God, am I my brother's keeper? To which God responds, Yes, you are. And the last time we left Cain, he was left wondering, cast out from God's presence, and roaming around the earth in fear. 
And what we have in the second half of Genesis chapter 4 this morning is two approaches, two solutions, two attempts to sort out the mess that humanity has got itself into. On the one hand, we've got Cain's descendants who head west and who depend upon their own strength to sort out their problems. On the other hand, we've got a new fork in the family tree who head east and who trust not in themselves, but in God. So we're going to take a look at those two approaches this morning to solving the problem that all mankind has and to see which one has value. So first we're going to look at the solution offered by the, lay, the, by the line of Cain. Um, in the first point, society can't solve sin. Society can't solve sin. If you're not already there, do grab a Bible and turn up Genesis chapter 4 and read with me again from verse 17. It says, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. Cain has a son, Adam and Eve's first grandchild has arrived and with him a new generation, a new start begins and it looks pretty promising, at least at first. Cain builds a city, we're told, and he calls the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. What's significant about that? Well, along with the first grandchild, here is the first city. Cain the wanderer has become Cain the settler. He's found a place to call home and he's named it after his firstborn son. Great. And as we follow the story and read on in Genesis 4, the generations and the years roll by until we get seven generations down from Adam and Eve to Lamech. And that's where society really seems to get going. Take a look at verse 20, where we hear the account of Lamech's sons, who it seems become the founding fathers of modern society. At first, there's Jabal, the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. He's the originator, the original farmer. He is one who creates a lifestyle, nomadic farming, which will dominate early history and which God's own people, the Israelites, will adapt to themselves. His brother, Jubal, the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Here we have the first music, the beginnings of culture and storytelling, of music and entertainment. At last but not least is Tuval Cain, who, not to be left out, is described as the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. He's the toolmaker, the technologist, the Elon Musk of the day, if you like. And I guess that this is much more recognizable to us than that quote from Thomas Hobbes, isn't it? These are cities and agriculture, music and culture and technology, all things which are part of life today. And at first glance, it seems that life goes on and society seems to progress step by step, broadly in line with how you'd expect things to go. It doesn't seem to make that much difference that God isn't really in the picture, at least at first glance. But before we look at the other side to life under Cain's line, before we turn over the stone and look what's on the underbelly of this society, and it is not pretty, it's worth us stopping for a minute. It's worth us stopping to pause and to acknowledge all the good things that are here especially for those of us who are reading this this morning as Christians. Cities and society, culture and art, technology and medicine, food production and care for the world we live in, these are good things. 
And people of faith do not have the monopoly on good things. When we survey the choice of food in our local supermarket, when you read a brilliant book, or when you have a vaccination delivered into your arm, you're benefiting, yes, from the work of people of faith, but also from the work of people with none. So what is the problem here? What is the downside to living apart from God as Cain's line do? Well, we get some clues as we read through the passage. But first, let me take you back to 2019 and to Kazakhstan. Now, I guess as you all know, Kazakhstan's capital is called Astana, except that it's not. In 2019, they changed the name of the capital city to Nur Sultan. And that was to honor the first ever president of Kazakhstan. And you had to call it that. If you didn't call it, you were arrested and beaten. And the reason that they did that was symbolic. It was to tell the people, this is where strength and loyalty resides. This strong man, this leader is the one that you should trust in. This is our city and it's built on his strength. And that's the real issue that is going on in Genesis chapter 4 as well. Because this society ignores God and it rests in its own strength. And the ultimate result of that is horrific. Let me introduce you to Lamech. Lamech is where we get to, as I mentioned earlier, seven generations down the line from Adam and Eve. In the Bible, seven is often a significant number. It often represents the whole of something, the completeness of it. And Lamech is the complete, he's the archetype, he's the ultimate example of what life looks like when we abandon God and we take it to its fullest but its logical conclusion. And he says this in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Cain, you'll remember, was the first person ever to commit murder, and in doing so, trampled all over the sanctity of life. Lamech's first act is to disregard the sanctity of marriage, as he becomes the first recorded polygamist, taking two wives. But don't think that Lamech isn't interested in violence. That is far from the truth. Cain, at least, after having murdered his brother, he buckled under God's just judgment. He cried out to God for mercy, and incredibly, God provided mercy by placing a mark on Cain and protecting him from further punishment. Lamech has got no such concerns. He kills a man, we're told. In fact, a young man. In fact, literally, this is a child who he murders in cold-blooded revenge, out of spite. And rather than cowering, rather than acknowledging his guilt, he rejoices in it. He boasts in his cruelty. And he says, you thought Cain was bad? I'm 11 times worse. And sadly, this is a world that we're familiar with too, isn't it? For as grotesque and as an extreme as an example as Lamech is, He's not totally unrecognizable, is he? Humankind is capable of great progress, incredible achievements, history, culture, art, 
acts of genuine compassion and kindness, but it's also capable of evil. It's also capable of selfishness, of hate, and of violence. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that those things are true of us, as well as society at large. And the issue is that that problem is not like other problems, is it? I mean, if we've got a problem with food production, we can farm differently. And we can address global warming, perhaps we can wean ourselves off fossil fuels or, or stop using as much plastic. And we know we've got problems with equality and, and we're trying to do things about that. And maybe the next time a pandemic comes around, we'll be able to find another vaccine, but we can't change what's going on inside us. We can't make lasting, real change to our hearts. And Jesus speaking in Matthew's gospel tells us that it is out of the overflow of our hearts that we speak. In other words, it is what is inside that causes the actions outside. That is where the real problem lies. It's not out there, it's in here. And so if technology and culture and human ingenuity, as good as those things are, and they are good, are powerless to solve, out the, to solve the real issue, the deepest need, then what hope is there for humanity? Well, in order to see that, we need to look at the other side of the family tree. So that's what we're going to do now in the second point. Only grace brings life. Only grace brings life. At verse 25, uh, towards the end of our passage this morning, um, brings another baby. This time it's not a grandchild. It's a new child for Adam and Eve and the beginning of a new branch of the family tree. Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Abel's line had been cruelly cut off by his, by his brother murdering him. But now Adam and Eve have a new child, Seth. And they're quick to name him, not so that they can secure the naming rights uh, to a city or so that they can uh, register his domain and get his social media handle sorted out, but rather so that they can recognize that this new life is not their doing, but God's. Seth's name, you see, sounds like the Hebrew word for he appointed. They're making very clear from the start, from the very name that they give to their child, that this is not their doing. Seth is here because God willed it, and he is here to achieve God's will. Verse 26 goes on to say, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Just as Cain's line continued through to Lamech and all his violence, the line of Adam is renewed in Seth through Enosh, and will go on seven generations later, not to Lamech, but to somebody called Enoch different Enoch, an Enoch whose name is not a byword for the strength of man, but whose name is a byword for faithfulness to God. We're going to see in Genesis uh, chapter 5 next week uh, that Enoch, this Enoch, uh, on Adam and Eve's side of the family tree, was one who walked with God. If you read on in the New Testament and read to Hebrews 11 and that list of the heroes of faith, you'll read more about this Enoch, that he was taken from this life that he didn't experience death because he could not be found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
This is a very different line to Cain's line. It is a very different solution to God's, to mankind's issues. Seth and his descendants are very well aware that they cannot solve their deepest problems. They cannot address their greatest need. They are God-dependent, not self-sufficient. What about you? What about me? I think it's pretty fair to say that the last 12 or 18 months have been pretty testing for us, haven't they? Perhaps in different ways. However, one thing that the pandemic has been particularly effective at testing at is who or what we trust in. The information sources that we believe, the behaviors that we adopt, the data, the science. Uh, Perhaps as well, you've thought about just how secure is my job? How resilient is my mental health? How much more pressure can I put on the relationships around me? In short, we're continually caused to ask, where does my faith lie? Where does my strength come from? This line has a pretty clear answer. Enoch, who was taken to be with God so that he bypassed death itself, did so because he pleased God. And he pleased God not because he was religious, not because he did religious things, but because he had faith, because he trusted in God, because he recognized who God really was and what God has truly done. And this is the foundation. These are the building blocks of life, of real life, of life that fills in abundance these three score years and however many more we get or don't and will overflow into eternity. So how do you get this life? How do you live like this Enoch? How do you grasp hold of this solution to humanity's problems? Well, we're given just the first hint of an answer in verse 26, the last verse in our passage, and it starts very simply. Look at verse 26 again with me. To Seth also a son was born, Enosh, And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. People began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's it. That is the answer. That's the answer to humanity's truly greatest problems. That is faith. People, no other qualification. Anybody, you, me, human being made in God's image, begins to call out recognizes their need, recognizes that they can't solve their problems and calls out for help and for mercy. But they don't just call out to the ceiling or into the ether, they call out to someone. They call out and grasp hold of someone's name, of who someone is, and it's the name of the Lord. And this is the first time that that word has been used in the Bible Lord, it's uh, often in your Bible, it's, it's in capitals, small capital letters. It's the word which is translated Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the covenant name for God. The name that God's people get to call him because he's their father. Because he's the one who makes promises to them and keeps them. Because he's the one who loves them, even when they fail to love him. People start to call out to this God. To the God who promises life and salvation in him. They start doing this new thing, this very first church, if you like, as they gather together for the first time outside of families for for corporate worship to hear from God and to ask him for help. 
This is how faith worked then, and that is how faith works now. Dependence on God, recognizing that we need him, calling out to him and expecting him to answer because of who he is and what he has said. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says this and gives us every reason to expect that when we call out to God, when we call on the name of the Lord, he will answer. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, apart from God, we are dead. Our hearts are black like Lamech's. And although our lives might not look exactly like his, although the cancer might not have taken hold as deeply, we've still got the same disease. But God, whilst we were still rejecting him, loved us and sent Jesus and sent him to live the life that we can't live, to live with a perfect heart, to live a perfect life and to die so that we could live forever. And so if like Adam and like Eve and like Seth and like Enosh, we will recognize our need of him and we'll call out to him and rest on his name, then we will not be met with cold dismissal or suspicion, but rather by a tidal wave of God's grace that is stored up in heaven and is just waiting for us to ask God to unleash it on us. If we'll just open the door to him, if we'll just call upon the name of the Lord. So what's Thomas Hobbes right? Is the life of man solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short? Well, no. And in fact, society can do something about some of those things. And to be fair to Thomas Hobbes, he wasn't grumpy all the time. That's what he thought too. But although society can do lots of things, it can't solve the problem of our sin. It can't do the surgery that's needed on our hearts. It's powerless to make us fully human, and it's ineffective when it comes in the face of death. It's only instead of trusting in our own strength, relying on God's grace to us in Jesus, that we can truly have life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the gifts of family, of society, of technology, of culture. And Lord, we recognize your hand in these things and we thank you for them as evidence of your common grace to us. But Lord, as much as we thank you for that common grace, it pales into comparison with the grace that you've shown us in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that because of his great love for us, your great love for us, he was willing to die on the cross. And thank you that because he has risen again, we can stand in full assurance that when we come to you, we will be accepted, that you will hear our cries for mercy and will respond with grace and mercy and love beyond our wildest imagination. Lord, we thank you for that and we pray that you would help us as we go out into our lives to rest not in our strength, but to trust in your grace. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.